It's good to see you all. Uh, I'd love to have you take out your Bibles, if you have them, and turn uh, either in your Bible or on your Bible um, to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, first couple of verses. Um, It's Father's Day. My kids aren't here to enjoy this, but you have to start the sermon on Father's Day with a dad joke, don't you? Right? So how many of you like to dance? Anybody like to dance? Some, yeah, okay, so some, some Christians think like, you know, you're not, not allowed to dance. I think it's actually part of the way we were made, uh, because in Genesis uh, chapter uh, 2, it says that God put Adam in the garden to work it. So, you don't have to laugh, you can just, uh, yeah, Taylor thought that was funny. Thanks, Taylor. I appreciate that. My kids aren't here, but I feel their eye roll. I feel it. Nice. <laughs> So our, our text this morning comes from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. So if, if you would, could we read this together? Here we go. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Just pray together. God, thank you for your word to us. Uh, your word that points us to your living word, Jesus. Thank you for the example um, that you have, have given to us, this living, breathing, uh, embodied example of your heart and your life in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, he is our Lord, our Savior, our Healer, our Redeemer. He's the one that we worship. And so, God, we, we ask that you would just honor your word today, that as we... Uh, as we explore it, as we learn from it, God, that your spirit would be present with us as we know that you are, that you would stir in our hearts, that you would move toward us just like this man in the text, that you would reach out your hand and and touch us in whatever ways we need today. Uh, We expect it, we open ourselves to it to receive your gift, your, your healing touch, your gift of grace to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Um, my, yeah, just, just a little, little bit of personal stuff. Um, my heart is just kind of in a tender place today. Um, yeah, just on one hand, physically, there's just some fatigue of, you know, being in the hospitals. You guys know what that's like and, and all of that. But just, it's Father's Day, and getting to be a different kind of father to my son who's hurting over the last couple of days, you know, has just, um, yeah, it's kind of made my heart really, really tender. And there, there are moments, you know, as a parent where you kind of, I'm in my 40s now, right? And so what do we do in our 40s? We like, <clears throat> we lament the passing of time. 
It's like, oh man, if you could just go back, right? If you could go back to when those kids were little or whatever the case may be, rewind time in some ways. And for us, like with, with Grayson in a place of pain and in a place of need, it is in some ways rewound the clock. He's 10 years old, but he needs us in a way that he hasn't needed us for a long time. So I find myself as his dad, just getting invited into these really tender places in his life. And, um, and I'll talk about this a, li- a little bit more, but it, f- for me, it has taught me just so much about the Father's heart, about God who, who moves toward us in our pain, and God who wants to serve, and wants to heal us, and wants to, to help us when we're in a place of need. Uh, and yet there's something... Um, there's something in my heart that resists that. Like, I, I resist asking for help. I resist, you know, as we grow, we kind of like take on this idea of independence. I don't want anybody to help me. I don't want, I want to, you know, do my own, to run my own life. And, and, and I, I, it feels like weakness, right, if I have to ask somebody else for help. And yet, I think that often keeps us from this, like, gracious, this loving, healing touch of Jesus. Because we, we aren't just willing to be like a child and to ask him and to, and to, and to come to him um, as a good father who loves us, who wants to be close to us, who wants to meet our needs. And so uh, that's what I'm, like, my heart's just in this tender place today as I think about Father's Day, and I, I'm grateful um, just for, for what Grayson is teaching me. In this, and and it kind of it relates to the story. I had planned uh, our summer series, uh, just to kind of give you a heads up of where we're going. Uh, a summer series on Matthew chapter eight and nine, and it's just these amazing stories, just like this one. These very short, very simple, beautiful, powerful stories that just make us look at Jesus and be like, "Wow, he's awesome." I mean, right? You, you hear a story like this, and you're like, "Jesus is he's amazing." So much, he's so powerful and so good and compassionate and kind. Uh, if this is like the first story you have ever heard about Jesus, what do you think about him? He's a pretty cool dude, right? Like, he's, he's good-hearted, he's compassionate, and, he, and my goodness, he has the power to change things and make, uh, make a difference. And so, uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to be working through these stories in Matthew 8 and, and 9. Um, but not only do I want us to say, like, wow, yay, Jesus, you're awesome, but I, I want us to, like, sort of put ourselves in this place of learning what it means to come to Jesus with our weakness. What does it mean to bring our wounds to him and, and to open ourselves up to just, like, to receive his love and his extended hand in our life? And I'll say this, too, like, men, it's Father's Day, um, and so, man, I just want to honor you. As, as, as men, um, God created you in his image. He loves you. He, he formed you. Um, dudes, um, again, part of being a man is like we we've grow up in this culture that says you need to, as you grow, repress your emotions a little bit. And uh, it's not the way of Jesus. It's, it's the way we learn how to be a man in our culture, but it's not the way of Jesus. Jesus was the most emotionally in touch human being who has ever lived. He cried at the right times. He laughed at the right times. Um, you know, he felt joy at the right times. 
And so part of like for us, it's like, wow, just like learning from Jesus how to how to like go there in, in, in those deeper places of our hearts. And so I hope that this is a, is a good series for us too, just as, as men, um, to allow ourselves uh, to allow ourselves to live in that place of, of need. So happy Father's Day. Okay, let's unpack this story a little bit. So this is Matthew chapter 8. Now, does anybody know what came before Matthew chapter 8? Yes. Well done. Matthew chapter 7. Very good. It's Matthew 7. And what is Matthew 7? Well, it's like Matthew 7 is the end of a chunk of Scripture that, that includes three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the, the greatest sermon that was ever given. Right? In Matthew, uh, go, go back two slides to the first slide. It says, our text here, Matthew 8, begins. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, right? So Jesus was up on a mountainside doing something, and he came down off of the mountainside. Well, what was he doing up there? Well, if you back up, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he was giving a sermon, and we call this greatest sermon ever given the sermon on the, on the mount, on the mountainside. And so Jesus, he spends three chapters just like unpacking, this is what life with God is like, life in the kingdom of God. And then he finishes teaching. It's this amazing sermon. He finishes teaching, and um, and, uh, slide three, this is what people say about him as he finishes teaching. He says, or the the people respond, says, when Jesus finished saying all these things, the crowds were amazed, like this dude is awesome, at his teaching. Like the words that he was saying, they had power, they had authority. He was teaching as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. If you're a preacher or a teacher of the law, the scriptures, I have to study. Like I have to look up the footnotes. I have to like dig in. Do you know why? Because I didn't write it. It's not me. It's not a part of me. Jesus didn't have to do any of that. It wasn't like he had to to look up the footnotes. It's like when he spoke, he was speaking the very words of God. Right? And people saw that, and they, they heard him teach in, in the Sermon on the Mount, and it was just like he, he spoke this truth that could not be dismissed. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, and you really read it, and you really like let it speak to you, it's like truth that cannot be dismissed. You can't just fly past it. And so Jesus, he, he just finished giving him the Sermon on the Mount, and he comes off the mountainside, And then Matthew tells us the very first interaction he has is with this man who is in a place of need. Crowds of people are clamoring around Jesus, people all around him, and it's the story, it just focuses in on this one encounter between Jesus and this man. And and it's such a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, The man who has leprosy comes to Jesus. And the text says that, so he has a skin disease called leprosy. You, you guys familiar with this? Um, so today we have a disease called leprosy. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but it, Hansen's disease is what we, we know it as. And it's this terrible disease where you kind of like lose sensation in your skin, your feeling. And so um, part of what that causes is like some people have had neuropathy where you lose sensation in your skin, and then you can be hurting yourself and not know it. 
right? You can touch something hot and not actually feel it. And so you just do all of this damage to yourself. And so leprosy was a, was a terrible disease. It is a terrible disease. The word leprosy in the, uh, in the scriptures, though, it's not just what we know today as Hansen's disease. It was that, but it was all just this variety of skin diseases. Like if you had a contagious, infectious skin disease, they would have said, like, you have leprosy, right? So, so just know that this guy has this chronic issue, um, and, and he comes to Jesus, said he, he like falls down on his knees in front of Jesus, and, and just one thing to note, like this guy was in a place of hopelessness, and he couldn't help himself, just like feel that, right? He, he was in a place of absolutely desperate need, he was hopeless to change his situation, and nobody else around him could help him either. Have you ever been in a place like that, just a, a physical situation like that, where you just desperate and hopeless, and it feels like it's permanent, and there's nobody who can help you? And so apparently this guy, in this place of desperation, he's heard about Jesus, and maybe... Um, like maybe he heard the teaching on the mountain, like maybe he was like standing off in the distance somewhere and he heard Jesus teaching. We don't know like what his, his idea of Jesus was like, but we know that he had some confidence that Jesus had authority, that he had power to actually change this. So um, he, he comes to Jesus, takes this massive risk of coming to Jesus while he's in a crowd of people. Why is that a big risk? Well, because part of having a contagious skin disease is you can't be around people, right? In the, in the Bible, they outline this. If you read the book of Leviticus, I, which I know you guys love, um, book of Leviticus, not a very fun, most people start the year with this like reading plan of like, yeah, I'm going to read through the Bible a year, and then you hit Leviticus, and like, maybe next year. Um, it's a lot of laws and, and things, talking about skin conditions, and, and we'll actually talk about that here in a little bit. But it, it said, if you had this contagious skin disease, you had to be isolated from community, you had to like live away from everybody else. Now, can anybody imagine what it would be like to have a period of time where you were in social isolation? Can you imagine a world, a circumstance, where you were not allowed to be around other people for fear of contamination? We can all experience, you know, right? We have those experiences. What happens to you when you're in social isolation? Not good. Right? It, it's, it's not a good thing, like, emotionally. And sometimes, like, it might be absolutely necessary, but, man, it's not a healthy place to live. And so, because, like, part of the way God made us is for relationships, and part of relationships is, like, meaningful, safe touch. And sitting beside my son's bed in the hospital room, it's like, you know, <clears throat> he's, he's nervous, he's got surgery coming up, he's never had surgery before, and so I'm, like, sleeping in the chair beside his bed, and he's a 10-year-old boy, and he'll, like, reach out his hand and just, like, grab my hand in the middle of the night because he just wants to hold my hand. He needs touch because that touch is, like, it's comforting and it's safe. And so here's a guy who's been socially isolated, and no one has, like, had meaningful, safe touch. He hasn't felt that in a very long time. We don't know how long. So he feels that. And he comes to Jesus, and um, he, he falls on his knees and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Takes this big risk, puts himself in front of Jesus. And it's like the whole story just like, it, it just like goes into slow motion. And Jesus, before he says anything, what does Jesus do? He reaches out his hand, and he touches the man. Right? He reaches out his hand, and he touches him, and he says, I'm willing. Be made clean. 
and the man is restored, and um, it's the end of the story. It's like, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yay, Jesus. Like, this is awesome. This is so, so cool. And so on one hand, we can read a story like this and say, Jesus is awesome. Like, take risks. Like, come to him with your needs. Um, he, he's willing to extend his hand of love and grace to us and to, to bring his saving and healing and redeeming and restoring power into our life. And he, and he wants to meet our needs. It's like a good father sitting beside, or an okay father sitting beside his son in a hospital bed, like wants to reach out his hand and, and, and give touch that is meaningful. So like on one hand, it's like, yeah, that's the story. And I hope, like maybe that's, maybe that's what we need to hear today. Um, if you're in that place, like where you're, you're, you feel desperate, you feel hopeless, you feel like, man, my situation is permanent, like, what does it look like for you to take a risk? And maybe even just being here today is taking a risk to kind of come to this place where people are worshiping Jesus and, and to know that he, he sees you and he loves you and he's extending his hand toward you, even now, even now in this place, he's extending his hand toward you. And so to just receive that. But I want us to like... I want us to look just a little bit deeper because like any, any story in the Bible, it has like these layers and layers of, of meaning. And so there's like this one word in the story that maybe if you're hearing this for the first time, you're like, why did he say this? There's one word that kind of unlocks this whole story in a little bit different way because the man with leprosy, he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me better. He doesn't say that. You can, you can get rid of my leprosy. You can heal me. There are plenty of words that he could have chosen that would have like indicated that. Like, my problem is with this skin disease. You can fix it. But what does he say? Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Why? Why does he choose that word? And what does that, what does that even mean? Like, was, was the guy like really dirty and that's why like he had the skin disease? Because Jesus, he says, I'm willing, um, be clean, and immediately he was cleansed. You ever wonder, like, why? Why that choice of word? Why does Matthew record it exactly that way? Why was this a request? Anybody else wonder stuff like this? Because if you do, and you start digging a little deeper, it's like, wow, okay, this unlocks this passage, and it opens it up in a different way um, that... I think is absolutely will transform so much about what we know about, about Jesus. But we don't have time to talk about that this morning, so let's just... I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> of course we have time to talk about it. Uh, okay, so what does, what does to be clean or unclean mean? So in order to do that, like, got to look back at the Old Testament a little bit. Now, we just came through a teaching series where we were looking at the big story of the Scriptures and how God is at work. And... And there's this, this moment in the story where, you know, people have rebelled against a good God who created the good world and have brought sin and sickness and all of that into this world. And God's not content to just let it be. And so God wants to heal. He wants to heal all, everything. He wants to heal all of creation. And so part of what he does is he brings his people who were in slavery in Egypt, he brings them out of slavery, and he brings them to another mountainside. Right? This wasn't the Sermon on the Mount, but it was the, the law, the, the Ten Commandments, the covenant God makes with his people. Right? You've, you've seen the, like the movies, the Prince of Egypt, the cartoon, or the old Charlton Heston movies, right? the Ten Commandments. Um, so you have this group of people who come to the place 
um, at Mount Sinai, and God begins, like, speaking to them, and he makes a covenant with the people. And part, like, the, the, the pinnacle of that story in the Old Testament, you can read about it in Exodus 19 and 20, is God comes among the people, his very presence among the people. And it's in this, it's like a, a chest. It's a, 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 not a very big, just kind of chest called the Ark of the Covenant. And God's presence was not in that Ark of the Covenant, but was like upon that Ark of the Covenant. There were like these, he had, God had them build this very specifically, and then there were like angels, like these angelic f- figures on top of it called seraphim, and their wings were extended toward each other like this. And it says that God came down and he like lived in the space between the wings of the cherubim. Right, So that's where it's like, God, that was the epicenter of God's presence on earth. That's where heaven and earth overlapped. And then so they built this tent around the Ark of the Covenant where people could come and certain people, certain times of the year, certain ways, could come into God's presence and like, <clears throat> you know, make atonement for the sins of the people and all of that. Does anybody know what that big tent was called? The tabernacle. Right? It was like this movable presence of God. So God's presence went with his people, um, where, and he led them, and his physical presence was right there. Such a powerful story. Now, part of the implications of God coming to, to be with his people was that they had, they had um, to sort of take care of all of the contamination, right? to take care of all of the sin that um, would be a problem in God's presence. And so God, this, this good, perfectly pure, you know, being who wants to heal and restore everything that is broken, it, it was like his presence created a problem for the people because the people had some sin and had, um, had issues and there were, there were things in the human heart that would like, that just could not exist in God's purity and, and in his light. And so, God um, asked and he required the people, before they would like enter into the closeness of his presence, that they would cleanse themselves. Like they would have to go through these ritual cleansings so that they could go into uh, his presence. Now, in Leviticus, speaking of your favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45, this is what, this is what God says. So the goal is God's presence among the people, but in order for people and God to commune together, there had to be some, some cleansing happen. And here's, um, here's what he says in Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45. I am the Lord your God, so consecrate, or like cleanse yourselves, and be holy, because I'm holy. Now, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. I'm the God who rescued you, redeemed you, saved you. And my goal is to be with you, to be your God, to be in relationship with you. Therefore, be holy as I am holy. And so this is what, like, what God is, is calling the people to. Now, that word holy is misunderstood in, in a lot of ways. The word holy... Um, we use it in our culture like, wow, he's holier than thou, or she thinks she's so much holier than everybody else. Like, we, we use it as somebody who feels like they're morally superior to everybody, right? I mean, that's, holy is, is not a word if you just took a, a poll of people on the street. Hey, how do you feel about the word holy? How do you think people would feel? It's not, yeah, it's, 
doesn't like evoke like lots of, you know, tenderness in us. And yeah, I want to move toward that. We kind of are, are repelled by it. But the word holy, here's what it means. It means unique, special, like set apart. So if something is holy or consecrated, um, it's like set apart for this special purpose. So God is saying, like, I am holy. I am completely, God speaking to the people, I am different than everything else. I'm pure and, and untainted by sin and darkness and all of that. God, like, just like this unapproachable light. And so God says, I need you to then be unique and special and holy and set apart because God's purpose is to heal the whole world. Right? And so God created for his people like these practices of, of cleansing that they could, they could get rid of the contamination and the things that made them unholy or unclean so that they could fulfill God's purpose. Okay, let's make this practical. This last week, my son had surgery. How many of you have ever been in the hospital? Show of hands. How many of you have ever been in that one room in the hospital that is set apart from all other rooms, that, that operating room? Have you been in the operating room? How many of you have just walked in off the street and said, I'm going to that room right there, please let me in, and you just walked into the operating room and just kind of took a look around? Anybody? Why? Because that room is like very special. Right? What's the purpose of the operating room? It's to help people. It's to heal people. It's like somebody's got a broken leg, and, and that broken leg needs to be, you know, set and cast. Or that person has this part, this organ that needs, you know, needs repaired, needs fixed, right? That room is special. You cannot just get into that room without going through certain processes. Does that make sense? Um, only under certain people under very certain circumstances can get in the operating room. Is, does this, you're tracking with it? Like, is it helpful? Okay, so um, I was not allowed in the operating room to be with, with Grayson. Um, and partly because they don't want contamination in there. The fewer people that are in there, the better. The, the folks who go into the operating room, the surgeon, after he came out and he talked to me and the anesthesiologist came and talked to me, they probably changed their clothes. They put on special clothes and they went through this whole procedure where they washed their hands in just a certain way. And, you know, they, you have to have training on how to do that. And they put gloves on in, in just a certain way so that they go into the operating room with not taking any of the bad stuff from out there into that special place in order that there's the, the smallest possibility of contamination of that wound. Now, the problem was my son was dirt biking. And when you're dirt biking and you break both bones in your lower leg, you don't want to take time to have it cleaned. And so uh, the doctor, he, he said, hey, if it's like, if the surgery is like an hour, it probably means we didn't have to add any hardware to him. It's going to be easy. If, it, if you don't see me for two hours, it means we needed some rods and pins and stuff like that. We're like, okay. So two hours later, we see him. We're like, okay. Here it is, like hardware, rods, pins, all this stuff. And he says, actually, it was pretty easy. We just underestimated how dirty that kid was. Under the wrap, right, that they had put the splint on in the emergency room, he was filthy because he had just been riding dirt bikes. And so before they, like, started to work on him, they had to cleanse him. I mean, it was like pressure washers. I don't know what they did, right? But they had to clean him so that 
the bad stuff that was out there that was on his skin on that mulch pile, who knows what, didn't get like into that special place when they operated on him and didn't cause infections. This is, this is the picture, right? This is the picture of like, um, and we get that. We understand it and we appreciate it and all of that. And that's, that's like what God's heart is here. His heart is just like an operating room. It's like his presence is going to heal us. His presence is going to take care of like the, the brokenness and the sin, not only in our hearts and our lives, but in the whole world. And so he's calling his people to go through a process of cleansing, of, of getting rid of like that bad stuff that's out there that could contaminate us in here. Does, it, does this work at all? This connection? I'll just keep going then. Okay. So, so God, he sets up these, and we, we sometimes we read the Old Testament like, why was God so restrictive? I mean, he told people, hey, there are these things that are going to contaminate you. There are certain foods. So he had his people eat kosher. Like, you don't eat those things, eat these things. Uh, there were certain um, things they couldn't do, like... <clears throat> Uh, there, there were certain, um, well, diseases that would make you unclean, like a skin disease, like leprosy. There were certain bodily functions, normal bodily functions that made you unclean. Um, if you buried a loved one, you touched a dead body, you were unclean. So it was like being unclean was not bad. It was normal. Everybody became unclean very regularly. But you would just go through a process of being cleansed. And then you could commune with God and with others again. That was, that was normal. But the problem was, the problem was, what happens if you got stuck in being a place of unclean? What happens if, like, you were like this man and you couldn't get clean? Now, there's this, so, so there's, like, Tabernacle Leviticus. Let's jump forward to the book of Isaiah. Um, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, there's this prophet Isaiah, it's like maybe at this point, maybe 700 years before Jesus, and he has a vision. Isaiah, called by God to be a prophet, he has a vision, and here's what the vision is. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I had a vision, and I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and in the train of his robe, it filled the temple. And above him were like these, these seraphim, these angelic heavenly beings and and they were crazy they had six wings and with two wings they covered their faces and, and two they covered their feet and with two they were flying so this is like nothing you have ever seen before right this is this is like these crazy beautiful heavenly beings and here's what these beings are, are declaring in Isaiah's vision he says and they were calling to one another holy 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 right this is leviticus 11 holy 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 special unique set apart is the lord almighty and the whole earth is filled with his glory it's full of his glory and so isaiah he's having this vision and he sees like this is what's going on in heaven it's just like wow god is so good and so pure and so so holy and set apart the whole earth is full of his glory and so Isaiah, he sees it, and it says that the sound of their voices is like the doorposts of the temple, and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now what, like, whew, what are you going to do? It's like, this is your vision. I mean, Isaiah, here's, here's a guy who's just, he's a normal guy, just like us. And he sees into heaven, and he sees the glory of God, and he sees like this worship service is going on in heaven. And he has the same response you and I would have, I, I promise you. He's like, we might say it differently, but it's like, whoa, is me. I'm in trouble. Like, I'm, I'm in trouble. I am ruined. 
Why? Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's like Isaiah, when he sees God in his perfect, holy, pure light, his first impulse is to say, I am so dirty. My lips are dirty. The things I say are dirty. The things I think are dirty. The things, like, I just, it's in my heart. It's, it's on me. Like, I'm, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord. So Isaiah's first impulse when he sees God's holiness and goodness is like, I'm ruined. I'm in trouble. This is it for me. It's game over. You ever, like, you're outside playing, like, maybe when you were a kid, and you're outside playing in the dark, you got fire going, and you're, like, throwing sticks into the fire or whatever, and then all of a sudden, like, you, you come inside, and you look in the mirror, and you realize, like, the soot, the dirt, the, it's just, like, everywhere, and you r- rubbed your nose because you had a runny nose, and it's just like, it's, I mean, this is real stuff, right? It's just like, oh, I had no idea how dirty I was until I, like, looked in the mirror and looked in the light. That's Isaiah's experience here. It's like, I'm ruined. So then, the uh, story goes on, says, so one of these angels, this is like bad news, guys. So one of these angels, next slide, one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. Good news or bad news? That's bad news, right? I mean, that sounds like really scary. Live, red-hot, burning coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs. So, so the seraphim isn't even touching this thing, right? He took it with tongs from the altar, like that, that's offering sacrifices to God, and with it he touched my mouth. Now Josh has been out there grilling food all morning, right? And if Josh was like, hey, everybody, come on over, um, and he re- he's not using charcoal, but let's say he did. He grabbed a piece of charcoal and started coming toward you with this red-hot charcoal. Is that good news or bad news? It's bad news, right? And so it's like... Uh, he, uh, Isaiah, he's freaking out. He's like, I'm so dirty. My lips are dirty. People around me are dirty. And I've seen the Lord. I'm ruined. And now this figure, this being from heaven is coming at him with a red hot coal and is going to burn him. That's what he's thinking. This is not good. And what does the seraphim do? He comes at him with this red hot coal. And with it, he touched my mouth. And this is what he says. Next slide. Oh, there we go. And with it, he touched my mouth, and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. It's gone. Did it burn Isaiah? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Did it wound Isaiah? No. Did it heal Isaiah? Yeah. See, it's like the presence of God moving toward us, like this messenger of God moving toward us with what we, look, what we think is going to be pain, reaching his hand toward us, it's actually our healing. It's not intended to wound us. It's intended to heal us and restore us. And, and so it says, hey, your sin is atoned for. It's, it's gone. Like your guilt is taken away. This is what Isaiah sees. And do you know what this man with leprosy sees back in Matthew 8? He sees the fulfillment of Isaiah's vision. See, what Isaiah saw 700 years before Jesus was just a vision. And Jesus, when he comes down off the mountainside, and he, he's, he is the embodiment of God, he is pure truth, he is pure light. 
And he comes toward this man who's wounded and who has leprosy and who is just like at the end of his rope and he's got no hope and he's in desperate need and he throws himself before Jesus and says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can, you can make me clean. And Jesus looks at him and he extends his hands just like Isaiah saw in that vision and he says, I'm willing. You're clean. Be cleansed. Is this good news? Man, it's such good news. Right? It's such good news. Like, this is what God is like. His, see, in the Old Testament, there was this idea, right, that like the, the, everything, you guys know osmosis? Like the, I'm, I'm punching way above my pay grade here, getting into like science and stuff, so you can correct me, educators. Um, but it was like things flowed from, from like unclean to contaminating the clean. Right? It's just like in the emergent or in the operating room, it's like the danger is dirty things getting into that clean space. And then that's what everybody thought is like you gotta like you gotta make sure this stays clean because the danger is like that contamination might get in here and ruin everything. And then Jesus shows up and he's like, here's the deal. My purity is actually strong enough that I'm going to move toward the unclean things, and it goes the other way. See, when Jesus touched the man with leprosy, everybody would have thought, well, Jesus, now he's going to get leprosy. And now Jesus is unclean, that the man's uncleanness translates to Jesus, and that's not what happened. What happens when Jesus touches him? It's like the power, the holiness of God flows the other direction toward the man's impurity, and it heals him and restores him. That's actually what God is like. And, and it's so great because Jesus, he's like, all right, don't tell a whole lot of people about this, um, but just go and show yourself to the priests, like go to the temple, to, to like the place where everybody thought God lived. It's kind of funny. Go to them and just show them that you're cleansed, make the sacrifices, and it's going to be like a testimony to them because here's the deal, the priests who were in the temple, they couldn't actually heal anybody. They couldn't make a difference. They could just pronounce you're unclean or now you're clean. They only had the authority to make that pronouncement. And Jesus is like, God's not in the temple anymore. Jesus is the temple. He is the tabernacle. He is the presence of God. And he's just making his way into the dirty parts of the world, into the unclean parts of the world, into the people whose lives were so desperate and broken, and he was bringing his purity and his holiness to everyone willing and making them clean and whole and restored and healed. This is the heart of God. That food smells really good, doesn't it? So, to just to land the plane here, what is it like? What does it look like for you to trust Jesus today? To just come to Him? I don't know, like what. In what ways do you feel like you're in a place of need? One of the things I learned about myself over the last couple of weeks, and it, it wasn't good. Um, it's like, when I am in need, I isolate myself just like on purpose. Like just, there's something inside of me that pulls away. Um, I, it hasn't been a good couple of weeks for the Miller men in our household. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I came down with shingles. Any shingles fans? Um, I, don't, I don't recommend them. Um, and, you know, I turned 41 on June 1st, and my body was like, you're an old man now. Here, have some shingles. And... And I, intense pain and kind of miserable and yeah, ended up in bed for a couple of days. And I met with my, 
a guy who is like a spiritual director to me this past week, and he's like, wow, like when we're in moments like that, we probably, like we just a lot more. And I stopped and I thought, you know, I wish that was the case for me. But unfortunately, it wasn't. Like I was in pain and I just wanted to distract myself. I just wanted to like be alone and distract myself. And I still like haven't fully unpacked that. But I'm, I'm sharing it because I don't think I'm the only one who does that. I'm guessing some of us have a tendency to do that too. We're, we're wounded, we're in pain, we're in a place of weakness, and we just kind of, we pull back. And our relationship with God actually doesn't, we don't lean on him more. We don't extend our hand to say like, Lord, would you just like hold my hand because I just need you to be with me. And we don't lean on other people, but we just kind of pull back. We pull back from community, we pull back from God, and, and we actually, we cut ourselves off from the presence of Jesus. You don't have to like raise your hand, but I'm guessing I'm not the only one who does that. And it's not good, right? It's not, it's not what we need. What we need in those moments is to actually press in to, to be closer to Jesus. And, and that's what my son is teaching me, is like that, that humility, that vulnerability, that this is like, Dad, I, I need you. Like, I need you. And, and the humility to just to let our Father who loves us, to let the presence of Jesus who loves us, serve us and, and care for us, to come to Jesus with our needs, to, um, to be surrounded by other people who love us, like the body of Christ, right? Who, to not cut each other off when we're hurting, but we allow one another to speak and to, to reach out a hand and to care for us and to serve us. And so uh, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't, know, I don't know what you feel today. Like maybe there's some sin in your life that you feel like, wow, I'm unclean. And... I just need to get my act together and then I'll come to Jesus. That's exactly the wrong thing we, you know, it's just backwards. What we need is just to say, hey, Jesus, like, wow, I really blew it. And you love me. And to move toward him. And Jesus isn't threatened by it. He isn't scared by it. He isn't shocked by it. He knows it already. And he just wants us to come to him. And, and he reaches out his hand. Like, maybe, maybe there's, there's pain in your heart. And, and just in these moments, his worship team will come up and, Offer our prayers as we close the teaching time. Just open yourselves up and, and whatever that looks like for you to just kind of like come before Jesus and to see him reaching out his hand toward you, speaking to you, bringing his healing touch into your life. Let's just give him space to move. So Lord, you're, you're so good and you're so much better than we ever could have imagined. Your holiness is not threatened by our uncleanness and our impurity. Your light is not threatened by the darkness. And so we just come to you, Jesus, just as we are. We are frail. We are wounded. We are broken. Um, we live um, so much with like just a sense of maybe guilt or shame where we try to hide and we try to pull back and we try to just like go it alone. We have this independence in our life. And so, Jesus, we just ask that your goodness and kindness would break through all of that, and you give us the courage to take risks and to come to you, like to just like come to you today, to open ourselves up and say, Lord, you're willing, and you're, and you're, you're able, you have the power, you have what we need. And Jesus, I just pray that every one of us would see in whatever way your hand extending toward us, reaching out, touching us, speaking your words, be clean, be cleansed, be whole, be holy, be purified. Just speak your life, speak your, 
the words that can transform us can change us. Even as we sing these songs, God, let them be alive in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus.